Hello friends and welcome to the podcast, uh, Butters on Books. I hope you're well and that you're staying safe out there. Um, this week I have read a few more books that I will be talking to you about. I have still got food recommendations. I feel like I just need to say this with confidence now. We've, we've been going for this is the ninth episode and I still have them, my God. Um, and as with, you can imagine, the month of October, um, we're very much still looking at spooky reads. Wonderful. Well, the first book that I've read since we last spoke is A Discovery of Witches by Deborah Harkness. Um, The premise of this story, if you have not watched the Sky TV series or have not heard of the books before, is that um, vampires, witches and demons are in fact real. Um, They kind of sense each other in the world and basically they have their own systems in place to make sure that humans basically don't know that they exist. Um, There is a particular witch called Diana Bishop, who is related to the line of bishops from the Salem Witch Trials. And she calls forth um, a book from the library that she's working in in Oxford. Um, It's Ashmole something or other. Um, She brings this book out from the archives and it turns out this book has been magically bound within the archives for years. And that it then alerts a lot of demons, vampires and witches to her presence when she has been trying to forget her past as a witch and just be a scholar um, in her normal life. And it's basically her meeting with a particularly uh, like dashing vampire called Matthew de Clermont. And it's about them and how they realise how the book is significant to them, how Diana realises she can't really run from who she is as a witch and realising that there are a lot of laws and rules that she didn't realise that there were because she's kind of segregated herself from the kind of witch vampire demon community but also that Matthew is kind of a a irresistible draw for her so it's part of the All Souls trilogy and I had watched the tv series beforehand I couldn't like decide whether I liked the tv series or not and I felt like I had a very similar experience with the book I've changed my review on Goodreads three times now between three and four stars because I really liked how the kind of system of vampires, witches, demons was structured. And I really loved each individual character. I felt like um, Diana's aunts, if you've read it, are fantastic. Um, Matthew's vampire mother, Isabel, is, or Isabel, is amazing. And she's like a total badass. Like, you know, all of the characters have something to them that is really fascinating and really compelling and you kind of can't stop reading. I did a mix of reading the physical book and also then listening to the audiobook. Um, and the audiobook was really good on Audible. I think my main issue with it is the romance between Diana and Matteo, who, like... Oh, it's so frustrating because it's not insta-love. They kind of have like a hate to love, but it's it's far too quick, like far too quick. And it's like they were basically like destined to be together um, as it turns out at the end, um, which is probably mild spoilers. But I mean, you know, the way it goes, like you can kind of see that is the way it's going. Um, and yeah, I just don't know how... I don't know, like Diana's a very strong-willed woman 
Um, and I, it's not that she gives in to Matthew all the time. Um, she does kind of fight back. She does say, no, this is what I want to do. And he does get quite frustrated with her because she does things that he's like, oh, why have you done that? But Matthew, he keeps secrets from her, like really important secrets that... I feel that she should have known before she made certain decisions. And certainly in the first book, that's never really unpacked any more than a, don't you think I should have known that? Yeah, probably. Anyway, let's move on. Um, so, for example, I don't think this is a massive spoiler. If you are going to watch it, maybe don't listen to this bit. But basically, her and Matthew obviously have a romance and it is actually forbidden for like interspecies romances so for example like a vampire couldn't date a witch a witch couldn't date a demon a demon can date a vampire like they have to stay in their lane if you like um and she doesn't know that until after she's like agreed that she's like in love with him and she doesn't realize that her admitting that she loves him is gonna put like everybody that she loves in danger and ultimately she decides he's worth the risk and her family realize that she's like head over heels in love with him even though they don't really approve and and they decide he's worth the risk too but I felt like that was something that she should have been aware of before she made that decision and that is never unpacked really in the book which I find quite problematic um Matthew's also because vampires he's always compared to a wolf um and I don't know whether that's something that I missed in the reading but I don't know whether that's all vampires or just Matthew um He's very territorial over her. And I really hate it. Like, if anybody goes anywhere near her, he's like, loses his mind. And, like, in a really possessive way. Um, and I just... Uh, not a huge fan of that. It's quite... Uncomfortable in places. Um, he's also quite cringy. Like... Because he's got like, these really stupid, like, old ideals of, like, you know, sex and, and things like that. He's just, I don't know, he's just a bit, ugh, I don't know, he just he creeps me out. I don't really know what it is about him. Like, when she first started talking about him, I was like, ah, oh, an intellectual, he's in the library, wonderful. And, like, even because he's played by Matthew Good, who I absolutely adore in the TV series, I'm, like, vaguely attracted to him. But, like, in the book, it's just he doesn't do anything for me. I'm just like, oh, God, what, why is this the person that you've chosen to risk everything for? And I think for a book whose main storyline is the premise that these two are, like, destined to be together, I I stand by my three stars because I just felt like that, for me, didn't work. Whereas if the premise had been that this book was really important for Diana and it was important for Diana to realise her true potential... I would probably enjoy it more if the romance was toned down a little bit. Whereas it, uh, Diana is really important and it is really important that she understands her power and that like, she does exercise that power within the book. But for me, it was overshadowed by the romance. But I think that is probably quite a personal preference because I know it's a very popular book series. But for me, I would recommend reading it, but I would definitely say it was more of a romance than an urban fantasy. Um, so I would give it three stars. I would recommend it. Um, but if you like, it's almost for me. And again, this is probably going to be a really unpopular opinion. A little bit like an adult Twilight. <laughs> Except there is no Jacob Cullen. <laughs> oh no, Jacob Cullen. God, I've conflated them, haven't I? What's Jacob's last name? Is it Jacob? I was never 
I should never have made this comparison because I'm not a big enough Twilight fan to remember all the names. Uh, Cullen is the last name of the uh, the other guy she ends up with, isn't it? It's his name. Edward, that's it. So, yeah, there's no Jacob. It, there's just Edward. That's basically it. Well, that's how I fa- found it anyway. But again, probably going to be quite an unpopular opinion. But yeah, it was it was OK. Um, it basically completed a part of a challenge that I'm doing where um, it had the word witch in the title. So I, I am glad I read it. But it is also like a chunky series. So like there are three books and like this book was like five, six hundred pages. And I think the second one's fairly similar. Third one's maybe a little bit shorter. So, um, you know, based off my review, it was three stars. But if you don't really want to commit to a three book series that you're not sure you're going to like... I'd maybe give a few chapters a go and see how you go. Um, but that is A Discovery of Witches. And then I read a Stephen King book that I was almost ashamed to say that I hadn't read before. Because um, I've literally got everything he's ever written. I think I've got something ludicrous that like 52 of his books. Um, maybe more. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I read uh, Pet Cemetery by Stephen King obviously got to read a Stephen King during Halloween um, or during October. Um, It was so good, like so good. Oh, so for those of you who don't know the premise, you have a doctor called Lewis and his wife, Rachel, who moved to um, a small town called Ludlow in Maine. And... Uh, basically, they have their daughter Ellie and their son Gage and their cat Church, short for Winston Churchill. Um, and they all move into this house um, in this seemingly perfect town. Um, their neighbour across the road is called Judd and his wife is Norma. His wife is someone whose name I can't really remember, but we're going to call her Norma. And Judd and Norma live across the road and they're very welcoming neighbours. Um, and Lewis's life is going pretty well. Um, there is somewhere across the hill called Pet Cemetery. Um, and there is something beyond Pet Cemetery that no one talks about and doesn't seem quite right. And that is the non-spoiler related summary for you um i am probably going to go into spoilers and i will say when and i will probably continue to talk about it until right at the end so i'm going to give my rating now it is a five star book if you like stephen king if you like things that have a slow build but so worth it and 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 almost drip the horror in slowly and then builds and builds and builds to it descends into almost chaos read it if you've never read a Stephen King's my god it's so good definitely a five-star read for me to go deeper into spoilers so basically the whole first well this book the book's bit into three parts I think but basically Lewis um kind of experiences something really awful in his first day at his job so he works at a, a university hosp- hospital like an on-campus uh, hospital and a jogger gets hit by a car and like half of his brain is coming out by the time he gets into the ER room he's gonna die um and his last name is like pascal and basically um his neighbor said like don't ever go beyond sort of pet cemetery like make sure your daughter never goes beyond there and then this kind of 
essentially like living corpse um because he's like moments from death starts saying the same thing but is almost like teasing him and being like come to pet cemetery and it's one of those things where like the whole first half of the book was you know like almost around that event that was probably like the scariest event that happened but then basically pascal starts to come to lewis in his dreams and is saying like don't go beyond pet cemetery like don't go beyond this like giant log pile um no matter how tempted you are so basically lewis has a really fraught relationship with his wife's rachel's parents you know they he he sends his family off to her parents for thanksgiving and he doesn't go and whilst the, the rest of the family are gone church the cat um gets hit by a truck um because there's a really like busy road near their house um and so judd who is his neighbor um shows lewis the pet cemetery and what is beyond he lets him bury his cat beyond and then the cat comes back to life but it's not quite the same it is a different cat it is like slow it stinks of death and it like murders animals in really like gross and like almost like calculating ways and obviously things go from there like this is like mild-ish spoilers like if I give any more away you might as well just not read the book um but basically yeah it descends from there I felt like it's such a creeping horror because everything's so normal they are such a normal family he really in the first like two parts of the book up until the third part where things really start to start to descend they are the most normal of families um and the way that he gets certain horrific events that have happened in their life that are horrific events that could happen to anybody in their life um that he then uses those to to almost warn them about the pet cemetery and you know warn them about what's what's just around the corner is is phenomenal and i loved it as well because it's in maine they refer to jerusalem's lot so salem's lot they refer to Derry. um they refer to um there's one reference that judd makes to cujo so it ties in with with some of the other books really nicely um and it's interesting because it's the one that stephen king certainly in his introduction that i've got in my copy um says is he finds the most scary and it's because basically he moved to maine um somewhere similar to ludlow um might even be ludlow and he was like a in-house like writing coach or whatever it was called in the university and his son, really young son, had made a run for the road and he just, just managed to catch him before like a massive lorry came past. And so Stephen King's kind of premise was for the book was like, God, what if he'd run into the road? And so he felt like that idea just kept going round and round in his head. So he wrote Pet Cemetery, and then almost put it away because he's like, God, I can never publish that. It's too obscene. It's too, it's too much. Um, well, he was trying to, he he was basically leaving his one publisher for another, but the one publisher that he was leaving had said, well, we need one more book from you. 
and he was thinking, oh God, well, all I've got is Pet Cemetery. And he asked his wife and she said, well, publish it. Um, and to this day, I think it is still the one that he finds like the most distressing and the, the, the scariest. And for me, I can definitely see why there are, there's such a slow build. It's so good. And I think the reason that like, for example, some of the Pet Cemetery movie adaptations, if you've ever seen them are like, I mean, like the old one has got a certain place in my heart, but if we're speaking objectively, they're both shit. Um, and I think it's because they don't get or don't capture that subtle horror of like the majority of the story. And then that subtle horror all of a sudden become re- becoming really significant when things in the story start to converge and things start to spiral. And I think they miss out on the subtleties of the book for like a jump horror fest that you would get in a film. And that's just not the kind of horror that Pet Cemetery is. And I love the kind of horror that it is. So yeah, I really loved it. Would really recommend it. It's probably one of my favourite Stephen King books now. Um, Up there with Salem's Lot and Needful Things and The Shining. Um... So yeah, I would definitely recommend a read. And then I had a reread. Um, you can all guess which author it is. <laughs> so basically I had quite a lot of um, like re-jigging of house stuff that I had to do. Um, and I really wanted to listen to an audiobook while I was doing it. And so one of my favourite like audiobooks to listen to but I never get all the way through it because I normally listen to it before bed and obviously I listen to like half of the first chapter and then I'm like conked out so I listened to um The We Free Men by Terry Pratchett (laughs) um and the premise of that is basically you have a, a little girl called Tiffany Aching and she wants to be a witch and she has a really annoying little brother called Wentworth who go everywhere with her. And all of a sudden she starts to notice that nightmares are creeping into her country, which is known as the chalk. Um, she's also noted that tiny blue skinned and ginger haired men are helping her out against these nightmares. And she's rather confused. And it's basically her discovering where those nightmares are coming up from her going on a quest to find her baby brother who appears to have been kidnapped and her getting to grips with these tiny blue men who are known as the Nakmak Fiegel. Um, I, this is the first Harry Pratchett that I ever read um, and it has a really special place in my heart so I love listening to it. It's like, it's like comfort food for me. It's like listening to, or like, it's like eating cottage pie, you know, like it's just lovely, it's just comforting. Um, I'd read so much spooky stuff. I needed like a palate cleanser because I've got um some other spooky books on my uh, tbr to be read um for the rest of this month and i was like oh god i just really want to listen to something where like i'm not getting creeped out for maybe like you know a couple of hours um and so i listened to it and it's oh it's so good the audiobook is read by stephen briggs who adapted a lot of terry Pratchett's books for stage and he does all the voices so well. Um, and I, I've got a really tattered old copy of the book as well, which I love. Um, and I did a little bit of a, a mix of both, but majority listening to it on audio. Um, and it was it was phenomenal. I would really recommend it for anybody who kind of wants a really fun introduction to like Terry Pratchett's writing. Um, it is 
aimed at young adults I would say probably like 10 11 year olds because the humor in it requires you to to know certain things certain wordplay certain idioms that you might need to know um but I personally love reading it as an adult like I think it's just so funny it's just so compelling it's a really good story and there are cameos from characters that we know Granny Weatherwax and Nanny Og were in it which I loved um so yeah, from my perspective, I would definitely recommend it. Um, it's obviously a five-star read for me because when it's a Terry Pratchett, not a five-star read. Um, and I think for me, it's just one of those books that it's like got a really special place in my heart. Um, and it's one of my favourite books from my childhood. I think it probably is maybe Narnia. Mm. Like I do love Harry Potter. But I think probably We Free Men is probably better for me. Which is a big thing to say. But it is. I love it. Um, so I definitely recommend it if you are a fantasy fan. If you love Toe Pratchett. Or if you're just looking for a really fun, nice, switched off read. It's great. Well, here are my recommendations. So um, I have a few recommendations. So um, obviously it's Book It's Halloween. Um, so my first one would be a podcast for you guys to listen to. So um, basically, I listen to this podcast on Spotify. So if you have um, Spotify, you have access to Spotify, it's amazing. It is called the No Sleep Podcast. Um, and basically, it is all stories written on um, the no sleep section of Reddit. Um, and I love them. Like, I love the episodes. I love the stories that are within them. I love the narrators that they managed to get. It's just, oh, it's so spooky to, to listen to. And you get really, because they're like, tend to be a couple of short stories in each episode. You get such a a range of horror and there are some stories that really stick with you because they're so unusual they're so some of them are so like visceral almost like you just can't get it out of your head and some of them make you sick to your stomach um so i would really recommend the no sleep podcast also if you haven't already watched the haunting of bly manor on netflix you need to watch it immediately it is so good. I have to say, I think, again, this is... I'm just loading this podcast with bloody um, unpopular opinions. I actually still prefer Hill House. However, Haunting of Bly Manor, you can't even compare the two. They are just so different. For me, Haunting of Hill House, they really amp up the ghosts. And they certainly do in Bly Manor as well. But if anything, Bly Manor is more of a love story than anything. And it's like several love stories, but it is a love story and it's just so emotional i i mean at the end of hill house i maybe like had a few tears but oh my god i was in bits at the end of bly manor like it was so well done so well acted there were bits where you you there was like a whole episode where you kind of realize what's happened to one of the characters and i all the way through it, i was like no no not this character let it be something else let me be wrong let me be wrong and I wasn't wrong and oh my god I was in bits there was one episode which was like a really unexpected episode that was all based like way 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 in the distant past and oh god that episode was heartbreaking as well oh it was so good so so good I would 100% recommend watching Haunting of Bly Manor 
on Netflix. It is not, I would argue, as scary as Haunting of Hill House. So if you are not as big a horror fan, Haunting of Bly Manor might be a better start for you. Um, I would also recommend Bookwise if you um, have kind of already read the ones that I've recommended. Um, the British Library do a collection of like horror stories. Um, they think they're called like Tales of the Weird or Tales of the Supernatural. Um, and any of those are always really good. They're a collection of horror stories by some authors you probably heard of, some authors you haven't heard of, and they're often around a particular theme. So I'm reading one at the moment called The Haunted Library, and they're all around haunted books and libraries um, from stories spanning from way, way, way back from to the kind of first wave of the Gothic uh, literature era, all the way up to like the 1960s. So if you can find any of those, they are great reads over October. And my food recommendation. So I went a bit ham and I bought a lot of new cooking utensils from Sainsbury's because they had a sale. And I have bought a bunt tin because I love baking. And I have made my first bunt cake. Um, I think you can use it without a bunt tin. So you can just like Vicky sandwich it. But I make it with a bunt tin because apparently that's who I am right now. Um, but yeah, I think you could just make them as like a Victoria sandwich. It's fine. But basically it's the like cherry cake that they made on Bake Off in, as a technical challenge like years ago when it was still Mary Berry and I still watched it. Um, <laughs> so shady. Um, so... I absolutely love this recipe. I've made the cake like three times now, which is really bad because I shouldn't keep eating that much cake, but I do. Um, but the ingredients are 200 grams of glacé cherries, 255 gra no, I've got that completely wrong, 225 grams of self-raising flour, 175 grams of softened butter. I actually find that I use like butter spread, so like Leopak which is better than real butter, in my opinion. You get a lighter texture for the cake. Um, 175 grams of caster sugar, one lemon, um, just for the zest that you put in the cake, 50 grams of ground almonds, and th three large free-range free eggs. Now, I didn't have three large free-range eggs, so I used four medium eggs. And also, I had lemon for the first one I baked, but for the next couple that I baked, I didn't have lemon. So I just used lemon juice that I would normally use on pancakes. And I used that because the decoration requires 175 grams of icing sugar, one lemon juice only, 15 grams of flaked almonds. I've never had those, so I've never cooked with them. And five glacé cherries quartered. So the steps are, first of all, you want to preheat your oven to 180 degrees, 160 degree fan or gas mark four, and then grease your bunt tin um, or, yeah, like normal cake tins. Um, you cut the cherries into quarters, set aside five of the quartered cherries for decoration later, um, put the rest of the cherries in a sieve, rinse under the running water, then drain well and dry thoroughly on kitchen paper and then toss in two tablespoons of your pre-measured out flour and that just ensures that they don't all sink to the bottom of your cake the majority i have to admit do go there but they are more spread around than they would be um then what you want to do is just measure all the remaining ingredients for the filling into a large bowl and then beat them really well for two minutes just making sure that it's really mixed well but not overmixed. then lightly fold in the cherries and then turn it into your tin 
After you've done that, you want to bake it for about 35 to 40 minutes until it's kind of well risen, golden brown. And if you put your skewer in, it comes out clean. Um, and you want to leave it to cool in the tin for about 10 minutes and then try and turn it out so it's easier to turn out from the tin. Um, for the icing, you want to mix the icing sugar with the lemon juice and make quite a thick paste. You don't want it to be runny because it's almost going to look like like a white paste over your cake rather than a thinner icing. And then you want to drizzle that once your cake is cool over the top and then sprinkle toasted almonds and your reserved cherries. And it's honestly divine. It's such a nice cake. It's a real, like if you've got a bunt tin, it's a real, I, re I don't want to say showstopper because that's so bake off, but it is a real showstopper. Um, and it's great. Like I've got parents who have got birthdays in October and November and it's such a special cake to make for a birthday um so i would really recommend that i also feel like a lot of the ingredients you would have for baking anyway um so you might just go and get a couple more like extravagant ingredients like the glacé cherries i don't normally have i don't really have ground almonds um, i don't really have lemons in my pantry um i want to say pantry i mean the one cupboard in my kitchen that has got like baking supplies in <laughs> that i call my pantry um or maybe like the one shelf that has baking supplies in that i call my pantry um but it would be a nice cake to make if somebody still got a, a lockdown birthday. So those are my recommendations for the week. And last but not least, I read The Haunting of Ashburn House by Darcy Coates. It is a book that I've had on my Kindle for a while. I think it was quite cheap when I bought it. Um, but I'd heard some buzz about it online um, and I thought I will finally get to this. Um, and I haven't read any books on my Kindle for a long time which is naughty. So I decided to read it. Um, the premise is uh, very similar to In a Cottage in the Wood, which I read for uh, one of my early podcasts this month. Um, it's basically about a girl called Adrienne and she moves to Ashburn House with her cat Wolfgang after her mother's death. as uh, She is left it by an elderly relative who is her great aunt Edith Ashburn. She moves into the house and it's old, it hasn't been lived in and there are strange carvings all around the house seemingly reminding her to do things. Um, and then after that um, you're having to decide whether the house is haunted or whether the house is, you know, plagued by something supernatural or whether it's all in her head. Um, and I have to say that I don't think this is a spoiler, but it is very supernatural. Um, I've given it three stars. I feel that's probably generous in the sense that it is perfectly fine. It's not awful in any way, shape or form. I did enjoy it. Um, I It was such an easy, quick read. Um, it took me literally about half a day, um, which is really good. Um, it was compelling. All the characters were compelling. I just felt that the story was quite... It's not even that it was two-dimensional. It was just like, this is the supernatural thing that's happening. Right? Get, deal with it. And it's a supernatural thing that doesn't often happen in supernatural books. So it was intriguing, but also I just wanted to know a bit more about it. Like it was so fascinating, the premise, and it, I felt like it wasn't um, really 
delved into in a great amount of depth, which I felt was a shame because it was a really unique concept for a haunting or why something was, was coming back to kind of stalk the main character. So from my perspective, I felt like it opened so well and it had a really compelling plot, but I feel like the execution probably wasn't where I wanted it. I do think for it three stars is fair actually because I, I think the plot was good and I, I personally really enjoyed the the writing style. Um, I saw a lot on Goodreads that suggested that the writing style let it down and yeah, there were some cliches in there, but like welcome to like horror books, like they all have things like that. I think for me, I felt that it was a really good kind of representation of of kind of a, a classic ghost story involving a house. Um, and I definitely read more Darcy Coates in future. Would I rush to read the next one? No, but I would definitely read more of her horror books in future. They're a little bit like, I don't know, like a, like a quick horror read that really kind of leans into that supernatural element and will go a little bit out there. And I enjoyed that. So I'd be interested to see kind of what twists and turns happen in her other books, really. Um, so I gave it three stars. I would recommend reading from some more of Darcy Coates. I personally read The Haunting of Ashburn House, um, but I don't know. I haven't researched Darcy Coates, so I don't know whether that came really early on in her writing career or whether it came later um but some of her later books she could have developed and worked on the things that i've spoken about so kind of quite excited because i've kind of got a new author to to explore so haunting of ashburn house um which again is a spooky book for halloween i gave it three stars and i would recommend Thank you so much for every, uh, to everyone who's listened to Put Us On Books this week. Um, hopefully I will be back in the near future with more books. Hopefully I keep this reading streak up, my goodness. Um, I hope so. Um, but I hope you're all well and I hope you're all staying safe. And I hope that if you are back into full lockdown again, um, that you are finding books enough to occupy your time. Thank you so much.